This week's episode of Quality Control is brought to you by Gamefly, the best way to buy and rent all your favorite video games. With your monthly subscription to Gamefly.com, you can pick your favorite games from more than 9,000 titles and then have them mailed directly to your door. And for as little as 54 cents a day, there's always free shipping and you can cancel anytime. So go to Gamefly.com slash quality control to start your free premium 30-day trial today. The premium trial allows you to check out two games and or movies, and you can only get this offer by visiting Gamefly.com slash quality control. Gamefly.com slash quality control. Go and sign up and start playing all your favorite games absolutely free for 30 days. My guest today is Charlie Hall, and I brought him here to talk about We Happy Few. I am Dave Tack, and you are listening to Polygon's Quality Control. Uh, Charlie, did you take your joy today? Did you take your joy today, David? No, uh, I did not take my joy. I generally uh, medicate after work, uh-huh. and, and that's more the uh, uh, the bourbon variety than okay. the pill form stuff. Yeah, it's sort of the opposite of that in We Happy Few, where you have to medicate to be able to work. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the way that the way the jobs work in this particular version of England, I would want to be heavily medicated as uh-huh. well. But we uh-huh. can certainly get to that. <laughs> So, yeah, obviously we're here to talk about We Happy Few, which is a game that is, um, well, just been released, but also has been around for like three years. Right. At, at least in concept. Yeah, this thing started as a Kickstarter campaign in 2015. I think kind of as the video game industry was coming down off of their Kickstarter high, they raised, it looks like 334,000 and change Canadian, which back then was a, was a good chunk of money. It's not nothing. Yeah. No. And then the thing went into early access for a period of time. And what they released into early access was absolutely not what is playable now. No. No. Actually, this is one of the, I think, more interesting stories of uh, developing in public, which is what early access essentially is, right? The, when it works well, yes. Yeah, right. Or failing in public when it doesn't. <laughs> but like, uh, I talked to, it was PAX East 2016 uh, when I talked to the, the the developers at Compulsion about it, and they uh, they told me that sort of after they did the um, the initial early access release. You know, one of the things I think this is true for all developers, as far as I'm aware, is that like the whole reason you do early access is well, n- not the whole reason. Sometimes you, you need you want you want people to pay. Oh, and, I definitely you know, think fund the your big game. Part of it's the money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the other thing is like, well, now these are our most devoted players. Like, you know, we want to listen and we want to solicit uh, their feedback. And one of the things they told me at the time was that the original plan was to basically be vague about the story, but people who were playing the game wanted a campaign and so i mean as far back as two years ago well over two years ago at this point that became their shift in plans where they as you said the game that sort of first came out evolved into the not quite final product that's out i mean it's the shipped game there's still more to come and we'll talk about that later but uh yeah it's it's like i said a new game that's been around for a couple of years (laughs) 
The version that I played when it was in early access, I got a press preview code even before it, it came to proper early access. Hmm. It was a survival game. Yep. You were wandering this procedurally generated dystopian 1960s England. That's a lot of words. But what it, <laughs> what it looked like was mostly brown, green, and broken. And you were just kind of wandering around and alternately running from from creepy policemen. And, you know, as far as, as a stealth game goes and as a survival game goes, it was competent and it was functional and it was okay. But now that the game has properly come out, Dave, it's a lot more Bioshock than yeah, I was is. expecting. Yeah, that is. I definitely got that um, vibe. Uh, it's that, that sort of Bioshocky or system shocky sort of sense where there's i don't you know first person view weird dystopian world around you you trying to survive as the uh, you know maybe the only sane person who's around uh and it's not that game although survival mode is a thing that's coming to the game as a free update the game that you would play now is a straight up uh campaign that would remind anybody of bioshock you're absolutely right about that and it's broken into three different acts. I played most of, uh, I believe, the first act so far. And the game opens up with it with a very cold open. You are sitting in a desk at work and you are in charge of redacting news stories. You've got a little machine, a pneumatic tube spits out a news mm -hmm. clipping. You slap it into your machine. You do a couple of dials and you either choose to or not to redact a given news story. And that's the way it begins to kind of feed you bits of lore about this world that you're in. But then within those first few minutes, you look over to your left and there's a bottle of pills and you make the very conscious decision in this, this first person cutscene to not take your pills. And you begin to remember and you begin to have these memories come flooding and filtering back memories about your family, about your brother, about being young during a time of war and it just spirals rapidly out of control before long you're pushed into the sewers you're living in like an abandoned london tube station mm -hmm. and you are going out into the world and you know shredding your clothes to fit in with the other refugees uh, from a society that's all hyped up on drugs to stay sane yeah or their version of sane right and so when you're on joy, things look great. When you are not on joy, you can see the world for as it as it truly is. Rat infested. Rat infested and things. people people doing strange things to each other and to animals. And it's a very disturbing dichotomy between the two. It I think it works really well. I think you know, it is a um it is a very particular look at a very particular alternate history. And I think those first few hours uh, do a really, actually a really good job of, well, creeping you out, right? Like it is, it is supposed to creep you out and it does. And it, you know, Colin talked, I think a lot about this in his review. Colin Campbell, of course, his review up on, mm -hmm. on polygon.com. He's out this week. We wanted to have him on the show, but uh, wasn't available. Yeah. And, uh, but it, it is a game that sort of asks tough questions or at least suggests them. And, you know, let's players wrestle with them uh, as they choose. I don't think it, it I, you know, I haven't played 25 hours of this game yet. So maybe that changes at some point, but it, it, it definitely doesn't it doesn't hide behind uh, its its sort of provocative ideas. Uh, yeah. and, it, and it creates the, a world around them that is 
believably creepy. But just to close the loop on that Kickstarter thing, though, conspicuously, that open world sandbox mode is not in the game that's out right now. It's coming later. And so they kind of, they backburnered what they originally launched yep. on Early Access. And now they've presented us with this fully-fledged um, Bioshock-inspired campaign with this slow drip of creepy narrative. And I'm mm. really into it, Dave. More We Happy Few in just a moment, but I want to take a minute to tell you about another sponsor. This episode of Quality Control is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Look, hiring used to be hard. You had to go to multiple job sites, look through stacks of resumes, do this whole confusing review process thing. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash control. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but... They don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and then invite them to apply for your job. So when the applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. In fact, ZipRecruiter is so effective that they say 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest-rated hiring site in America. And right now, listeners to Quality Control can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's $0 American or zero euros European. Go to this address, ZipRecruiter.com slash control. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash control, C-O-N-T-R-O-L, ZipRecruiter.com slash control. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host podcasts every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts check it out i think the first time this is about as good a trailer as i've ever seen for a video game like the first time i saw this i remember coming into work one day and uh, it just painted this you know strange world of people putting on happy faces sometimes literally often literally because they had to and it was just all off and that is the game that exists like that is that initial vision is a playable, enjoyable video game. And this this trailer came out right on the heels, uh, within a couple of months, I think, of the original teaser trailer for This War of Mine 2, which was just another great um, trailer, <laughs> as far yeah. as game trailers go. Yeah. Uh, we were really spoiled, I guess, for game trailers <laughs> in <Yeah>. 2014, 2015. <laughs> I, I want to kind of expand on, on the Bioshock aspects of this, though, because a lot of folks sure. are throwing that out there and saying that about the game. What does that mean? What it means is it's an alternate history, right? That's one part of it. And I want to talk more about the history as I've been able to glean from the, the first act of the game so far, because I think it's fascinating. But it's also delivering the narrative of the game in a very Bioshock-inspired way through these news clippings. 
But also, you'll go into the game world and you'll you'll discover these floating masks and this mask motif. You'll see it on many of the NPCs in the games. They're actually wearing a, a white painted mask while they're on their joy to to signify that they have their wits about them, that they're part of informed society because they're tripping balls. And yeah. you find these masks, these broken masks out in the game world. And when you grab one, it triggers a recollection. And it's these two young men's voices. Um, and it's Arthur, the main character that you're playing in the first act, and his brother, Percy. So you've got Arthur and Percival, which is names that have very deep meanings as far as Arthurian legend for, mm-hmm. for English folks. But as Percival explains that he himself is a little slow, he's a little, um, a little less mentally capable than his older brother. And so there's this relationship between the two as the younger Arthur is trying to protect the older Percival and how they both kind of manage their way through a, a very, very challenging post-war, post, post-World War II England. Right. And it's a different post-World War II England, right? Yes. And here's kind of where the the first act really got my history nerd all excited. Um, in the, the game takes place in 1964, but the, the alternate history that it posits is one where America never entered World War II. Perhaps they made a separate peace with the Nazis. I, I haven't found the story elements that inform me about that peace. But, you know, the, the arsenal democracy, the arsenal of democracy never comes to fight on behalf of France and, and England mm-hmm. and England Falls, um, you know. Th- there's a, a throwaway uh, news clipping that the Bismarck survived, right? This terrifying German battleship that the Brits hunted down relentlessly lived, and it and you know thousands of tiny boats were able to orchestrate this invasion of England. And and so now, you know, there's no food coming from the United States. There's no weapons coming from the United States, and the British Home Guard actually capitulates. Uh, We're getting kind of into spoiler territory here. So if you want to kind of hit that spoiler alarm here for folks, they can come back and uh, say it. The spoiler horn, sure. Blow off the spoiler horn. We'll come back in like a minute or two and and end with our spoilers. So blow that now, please. First, I want to thank the incomparable uh, again for their use of the spoiler horn. Here you go. So after the British Home Guard capitulates, they they don't give up arms. They actually turn and start working for the Nazis. Mm-hmm. So you've got these British soldiers that help the Germans round up all the children who are over the age of 13, put them on a boat and send them to Germany to fight against Stalin. Mm-hmm. So now on the front lines of the German uh, war machine, you've got English child conscripts fighting at Stalingrad, Dave. If, nope. if that's not grim, I don't know what is. They, yeah, like they, I like that they played this out, right? Like they didn't just say, well, okay, the Nazis won. Like they went to step two and to step three and to figure out, right? They, they told this, the worst sort of alternate history of the world, right? Uh, but they like, they committed to it. Oh, and yeah. then they made the story personal, as you they said earlier, did. because the because of what happens to the brothers. 
And again, there's there's two more characters, one of which you'll pick up in Act 2 and another mm-hmm. in Act 3, and you'll actually play as them. But as the story of Arthur plays out in this first act, welcome back, we're, we're kind of done with spoilers, we're going to talk more about um, game mechanics and the, the first act of the game. Um, but the way that this first big set piece mission plays out, you're going to attack a home guard base, and the home guard it's the same home guard. Yeah. It's just a bunch of old men. Yeah. You've got these old elderly men in, in the 60s running around with beat up World War II equipment and you need to like choke them out or beat them to death in order yeah. to in order to shut down this reactor, uh, this this generator and let another one of the, the, the named characters progress his storyline in the background. It's, it's this tremendously impactful emotional engagement when you're when you're sneaking around or choking out or beating to death all of these old men the the bioshock inspired narrative delivery is working on one level to tell you what and why you're fighting with these old men and it's it really adds some drama to the gameplay and i really enjoyed it and and wrote up my thoughts in a piece at the website we'll link to that in the show notes what i loved about that piece charlie if i can just uh, go ahead and spend a minute complimenting you <laughs> is is that it, it showed your evolution with the story and the characters right because when you realize when you put sort of when you when you piece together the puzzle of the home guard and that these are the old men who surrendered or capitulated right the first time you saw them you had one reaction the next time you saw them you had an entirely different one right like that is that's the story working and one part of uh Colin's review that I absolutely agree with is the voiceover work in this game. If you go back and you think about Bioshock, Nolan North's interpretation of Booker was very sparse and spare. Arthur is always talking in this game over every action that you do, and he is he is self-effacing, he is apologetic to the people that he's beating up, and he's like when you're when you run out of stamina, he's like, oh, I should have like stopped smoking or whatever. He is He's whispering in your ear, but he's really adding to that color of the narrative and and influencing and I feel impacting the way that you're encouraged to play the game. Yep. And before we get any emails, it's Troy Baker who was Booker. Oh, in, in Troy. I mean, you know, well, it's it. You had a fifty-fifty shot, basically. Yeah, basically. I, I I apologize to voice uh, to both voice actors uh, <laughs> from the depths of my heart, and please send me uh, Charlie at Polygon.com all the hate mail. There you um, go. <laughs> But yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited about this. I'm I'm excited to get into the second and the third act. That being said, yeah, there, there's a little bit of jank. It is rough, right? It's not a very big studio. I mean, they were independent up until uh, the Microsoft press conference, I guess, at E3, when 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 Microsoft announced that they were one of a handful of, of four or five studios that Microsoft acquired. We Happy Few is available on PC, PS4, and Xbox One, but uh, uh, as, as of now compulsion is a microsoft studio Hmm. i've been playing it on ps4 and it is kind of what you might expect which is slightly rough around the edges uh, at times on uh uh, you know from a studio of uh, a modest size one of the things that i was disappointed in it wasn't so much a bug as it was just i felt an incomplete feature of the game you know i i tripped the alarm inside the home guard base and then i basically hid inside the general's office Mm-hmm. And waited like two minutes and then everything was okay. 
like they just reset and went back to their patrols and and didn't mind that I was there <laughs> killing people. And that's, you know, that kind of ruins the immersion to yeah, some extent. So, you know, I save early, save often, go into it expecting to God, yes. play a role, I guess, more than explore a sandbox. You're going to need to go and do certain things for the for the game to kind of trip all the things that it needs to trip for the, for it to feel good yeah. and feel like you're playing the part correctly. <laughs> um, and you're, you're not just going to go in there and tear stuff up and kill whoever you like and, and have it work out. It's you kind of got to do what you're told. Right. Which goes with the game's theme, right? I was just going to say that's exactly, <laughs> that's the tension, I think, ever present in this game. Yeah. And again, very much like Bioshock, that's not an open world game. You, nope. you go from point A to point B and you, you do the things. And, right. and this works the same way. Right. And so that's what you get when you get We Happy Few today. We, we mentioned this briefly earlier, but like there is that sandbox mode that is coming at some date. We don't know when. It's a free update. It seems like that is more like the initial concept for the game where you you customize the world and, and play as you want, uh, you know, within the rules uh, of, a, of a sandbox. And then if you do the season pass, what, what it looks like is that in, in the same way that there are three, uh, the campaign told from three different characters in the game you buy today, it looks like the season pass has three more campaigns each with different characters. Yeah, I hadn't even heard about this. Let's kind of run through these real quick. Roger and James in, they came from below. Precocious Roger and impetuous James set off in search of adventure and love only to un- uncover bizarre technology and a terrifying new threat. Okay, I'm in. That sure. sounds fun. Mm-hmm. Light Bearer is another scenario. Heartthrob artist and personal train wreck Nick Lightbearer is a celebrated rock star, but what makes him tick? Tune into Uncle Jack's Late Show to find out, and we all fall down. Much like any well-worn happy mask, all societies develop cracks in their veneer, but that doesn't mean you should go digging up dirt from the past, right? Pops a joy pill. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to see where they go with this, because, you know, at the corners of this, much like at the corners of Bioshock, I'm seeing all kinds of, of interesting opportunities for yeah. storytelling. And I'm excited to, to to see them picked up by Microsoft and get the support that they need to yeah. really flesh this thing out. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I, I, I've not been, I like We Happy Few. I'm not blown away by We Happy Few, but I like that, I like this world that they've created, this bizarro world. And I am um, interested to see I, 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 that they're doing what I think is semi-obvious, which is, well, we don't have to tell just one story in weirdo world. We can tell, we can just tell a bunch of interesting stories, hopefully interesting stories in weirdo world. And uh, yeah, that's what I, that's, that's what I like about this. Yeah, so you can get it on Steam, obviously. Um, I think that there is a little bit more jank, perhaps, with the PS4 version than the Xbox One version. Um, just uh, mostly stuff I'm seeing on Reddit and YouTube right now are, are reporting mm-hmm. that. But I've been playing on PC, and, and it it uh, runs pretty well on, on my fairly beefy, you know, year or two old rig mm-hmm. here. I'm, I'm pleased with the with the performance. All right, Charlie. Well, thank you. I think we um, I think we got to go pop some joy and play this game a little more. No, I'm into it, and, uh, you know, after work, I'll, uh, I'll have my bourbon waiting. I'll talk to you later, Dave. <laughs> All right. Bye.
Hey, listeners, I'm Arthur Brooks, host of The Arthur Brooks Show on the Vox Media Podcast Network. If you like this show, I know you'll enjoy listening to my new podcast. In it, I explore the art of disagreement. My guests and I provide some practical advice for navigating disagreements with friends and family, persuading and inspiring others through storytelling, and countering social media's amplifying effect on the culture of outrage. Listen and subscribe to The Arthur Brooks Show on Apple Podcasts or the podcast player of your choice. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. 